Attention Seattle and the greater Pacific Northwest area. If you are in town on January 16th, you are hereby commanded to go to the Moore Theater to see us. Stuff you should know. That's right. We are kicking off 2020 with Seattle. All new material. We're super excited. You always turn out for us. Tickets go on sale tomorrow for the January 16th show. You can find out ticket info at sysklive.com. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant right there. There's Jerry Rowland right there. So that makes this Stuff You Should Know right in company. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for me, yeah. <laughs> Can't top that. I was trying to think of a way to say welcome to the podcast in Cockney rhyming slang. Can you make an attempt? I'm, my I'm my brain is so broken right now. I can't even try. Okay. Good, good. Well welcome. It's a good good time to record a show. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> You're gonna do some Cockney in here, right? We want to offend as many Londoners as we can. <laughs> I don't know. Just just channel a little Dick Van Dyke. Oh. You know? Y- yeah. The American <laughs> doing a bad Cockney accent. Well, I did recently rewatch The Limey. Yes, for Casey's benefit. Yeah, the great, great movie from Steven Soderbergh. I've never seen it. It's awesome. Is it really? Yeah. I mean, I know it's like a classic and everybody loves it, but I mean, it's really that good, huh? <laughs> yeah. Because a lot of people liked, um, I don't know, The Hangover. <laughs> I like The Hangover. Well, how would you? How would you like The Limey and The Hangover? Same level. <laughs> Yeah, they're the same movie almost. All right. It's weird. Well, then I've seen The Hangover, so I don't need to see The Limey. <laughs> no, The Limey's great, and uh, Terrence Stamp is awesome in it and uses some Cockney rhyming slang in one great scene. My big exposure to Cockney rhyming slang is Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and or Snatch. Snatch. Yeah. Which I think are both directed by Guy Ritchie, right? Wasn't Lock, Stock like his first attempt and Snatch was the yeah. one that like got him married to Madonna? You a fan of his? Yeah. I mean, as much as I, I like his movies, I don't like him personally necessarily because he, like, hunts boar like a jackass and Does stuff he? like that. Yeah. <laughs> and no, he's, I like, meant drunk his... with his friends in the most, like, disrespectful <laughs> way of murdering a pig. I, did, I meant uh, his movies. but Yeah, I do like his movies. Sounds like he's a creep, too. I'm not going to go on record saying that, but, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, those movies are okay. And then I guess, uh, what's his name, uh? Don Cheadle a little bit in Ocean's Eleven. Sure. He did a, a little bit of that. Right. And I mean, like, <laughs> it, it's code to Americans. It's, oh, there's like a, a criminal, a British criminal. Right. That's all that means these days. Yeah, I think so. In movies, it's definitely, like, all of those are criminal. Right. Criminal people in the movies. But they're like, you know, kind of slick, cool criminals that, like, sure. wear leather coats and stuff like that. Not not dumb criminals that wear, like, football jerseys or anything right. like that. They're like, you know— <laughs> Smooth criminals. That's, I think, what I was looking for. Yeah. But um, this this idea of associating it with Cockney is not necessarily associating it with criminals. It's more associated with, like, um, lower class, working class, less educated, definitely not the aristocracy over in Britain. Yeah, or the upper class, sure. And that by, by speaking with a Cockney accent or, more to the point, using Cockney rhyming slang, you could really differentiate yourself 
to as a point of pride. Right. Like you were speaking like your group, your in-group, which was at the time Cockney. Right. But the big surprise to all this is it's really possible and even probable that it wasn't the Cockney that came up with this rhyming slang, that it was somebody else altogether. Maybe. Who knows? Should we say what it is? No. <laughs> Not for the rest of the podcast. Cockney rhyming slang. It wasn't even very clearly defined in this piece. Okay. Did you think it was? Uh, it's in there. Okay. You got to just kind of separate the wheat from the chaff. <laughs> so it is a two-word phrase. It is a slang phrase okay. consisting of two words. So far, so good. Where the last word of that phrase rhymes with the original word. And it can be, and I think the best way to do this is just to throw out a few. No, no. Keep describing. <laughs> <laughs> well, the two-word phrase, it can be it can be a lot of things. It can be a person's name. It can mm -hmm. be just something random. It can be a place. It could be a place. It could be a lot of things. It can be anything. It, yeah, sure. I guess it can be. Mm -hmm. uh, but shall we illustrate it through? Well, there's a second part to it, too. <laughs> okay. The second part, and this is very important, the two-word phrase that you're using to that where the second word rhymes with the word you're actually saying. Yeah, the original word. The original word. Thank sure. you. Usually has nothing to do with it. There's no metaphor. There's no connection. There's no nothing. There's no there's no context to it. It's supposed to just be random, or in most cases, it is just random words. Right. One of which rhymes with the word you're replacing. And to further complicate things. Sure. In a lot of cases, and no one knows why, sometimes this happens and sometimes mm -hmm. it doesn't. Mm -hmm. A lot of times that one of the words of the two-word phrase is dropped. Yep. And then you're just left with the one word. Which doesn't even rhyme with the original word anymore. <laughs> right. That's, I mean, that's probably the best description of Cockney rhyming slang anyone's ever given. <laughs> so I think we should illustrate it with a couple of examples. I pulled some from, uh, from something called the Internet. Um, here, here's one. The uh, the tip and tet. <laughs> That's how long it took me to come up with that. Tip and tet for yeah. internet. <laughs> but in ten years, it'll just be called the tip. I'm going to log on to the tip, Governor. So let's say your word was, and this was in Ocean's Eleven specifically. Trouble is the word that you're trying to say. Cockney rhyming slang for trouble is Barney Rubble. Awesome. Um, and so you would say you're making a bit of the Barney Rubble again, right? When somebody. <laughs> That was kind of, um, who was that? Making a bit of Bonnie Rubble, not the. Uh, see, I already did it wrong. No, but I think you Did that get sound away like a real that. person? To an American, for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't, I can't, it'll, I'll shout it out later. If oh, man. Comes to me. I, I finally did a good one. <laughs> we just, I just don't know who it no, was. No, but it wasn't a Cockney person, is it? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another example um, for Queen, um, they would use the term baked bean. Look who's on TV. It's the baked bean. <laughs> right. And that's the queen. I like that one. Uh, or in the case of one that's been dropped, uh, what does Ed use here? Bees and honey? That one is not dropped for money. Oh, okay. But which one was? Apples and pears for right. stairs. Right. So you would say, uh, I'm going to go up the apple and stairs. Apples and pears. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Let me retake this, everybody. You would Take say. Two. I'm going to go up the apples and pears to uh -huh. go get my wallet to pay for this pizza or something to that effect. Okay. But then over time, people drop the pears. 
And so now the word for stairs in Cockney rhyming slang is just apples, which if you're just standing there on the outside like a normal American bloke. Sure. Which, by the way, means person. Uh um, You have no idea why this person just called stairs apples. You got what they were saying because the context is there. You're going up the apples to get your wallet to pay for the pizza. But why would you just say that? Did you did you hit your head? Is there something wrong with you? What's the problem? Why would you just call that apples? Yeah. That's why it's so confounding. But the great thing about Cockney rhyming slang, and in particular the great thing about researching Cockney rhyming slang, mm-hmm. is you learn how you get from apples to stairs, and then it makes sense. Sometimes. Yeah, that's true. It's not always. Yeah, sometimes there's uh, – it's, it's not documented, which Ed points out is one of the problems. Sometimes you can draw the line, the through line, but because it's not documented and sometimes these things take years and years to morph into its final version. Right. Unless you're, you're, you know, on the, uh, what would you call streets? On the dole? (laughs) No, on the streets. Then you Um, wouldn't know. But I don't know what streets is. You can't just make stuff up. Like, there's real words. On the uh, drums and beats. So okay. you're on the drums. Uh, right. <laughs> but they probably have a word for streets. Like, that's the whole point. You can't just make anything up. But the, but I mean, you, you could can't... if it hasn't been taken yet. Sure. But also, that's the other thing about Cockney rhyming slang is it evolves. Right. right? So old celebrities that, that no one even knows about anymore fall away to new celebrities whose name also rhyme with, you know, whatever word you're saying. Right. I thought you meant old celebrities who maybe used to talk this way like Michael Caine. No. He's never said any rhyming slang in his life. No, of course. you got to see the movie Alfie. Maybe that's who it was. It might have been Michael Caine. All right. I'll take that. Michael Caine. I think it was, as a matter of fact. Yep. Thank you. I'm glad you did it. Noel always says a good joke is to say Michael Caine in the correct accent, say the words, my cocaine. And it sounds like Michael Caine saying it? And it sounds like the, the, the correct accent for Michael Caine. Right. Say it. Uh, my cocaine. <laughs> well, you just blew that one out of the water. <laughs> You're going to set me up in the future because now you have yeah, it recorded exactly. me saying my cocaine. Well, there's I've got it two ways now. Man, my um, cocaine. Here's the thing. My if, cocaine? <laughs> that's my cocaine. <laughs> that's pretty good. Michael cocaine. It is good. You're right, Noel. You just got to say it the right way. And not like a robot, Josh. <laughs> so uh, here's the, one of the things that's sort of confounding. If you want to look up a uh, like a glossary and say, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to learn Cockney rhyming slang. Mm-hmm. So for my trip to England, I'm really, you know, I'm really in with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> right. First of all, bad idea. Yeah. Uh, second of all, it's it can be very localized mm-hmm. and the accents are all different. Yeah, so even people in London sure. who both who all use well people in London don't really do, but the people who use Cockney rhyming slang in London yeah. might not even agree on what word is means what. I'm just picturing all the people walking around England laughing their arses off. Oh, I can't wait to get to that one. <laughs> it's a great one. As we stumble through this. Um yeah, Ed had a really good uh example of why there's no um codification of the Cockney rhyming slang. He said that when people are creating a language, especially informal ones like slang, they don't write it all down. Quote, Dear Diary, referred to my house as a cat and mouse today because it rhymed. (laughs) We all had a good laugh. Might try just calling it cat tomorrow and see how it goes. (laughs) 
<laughs> it is. It sounds funny, but that's that's how it works. <laughs> Can you imagine stumbling across a diary that says that? Um, and here's the other thing too: is there are cases where there is a little bit of a reflection of the original word, and the example that it gives here is twist. Yeah, like to call a woman a twist. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's derogatory or not, or just some weird slang that no one uses anymore. I don't think so, although I don't know. So yeah, these are also the people who use the c word like it's nothing. Right. <laughs> well, it's a but very can't bring meaning. themselves to say fanny. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I can't wait to go back there. Which we're gonna do soonish, right? I'd love to do in 2020. Maybe. Yeah. All right. Uh, so twist came from twist and twirl, mm-hmm. uh, which meant girl, which is. Uh, they were talking about like dancing with a girl, twisting and twirling in a nightclub, let's right. say. So there is some connection in that one. Yeah, so girl in, ended up becoming twist. So that sort of makes sense. There's another one called On Your Todd after a guy named Todd Sloan, and it means on your own. Right. And the thing is, is like On Your Todd, it makes sense. Sloan rhymes with own. It doesn't have to have any connection, but that one actually does. Yeah. Because Todd Sloan was a famous jockey in the 19th century. Like horse jockey? Yes. Okay. What other kind is there? Disc jockeys? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so his book, his memoir was called Todd Sloan by Himself, which is weird to refer to yourself in third person for your memoir. Hmm. But there was a line in it that apparently East End uh, East Enders in London like really picked up. I was left alone by those I never ceased to grieve for. And so, like, the idea of being alone or on your own became synonymous with Todd Sloan. His name just happened to rhyme with that. So it's one of those rare ones where there is a connection to it. And also rare, Chuck, in that this is a 19th century horse jockey, and still today, on your Todd is recognized as on your own. Whereas a lot of people probably have no idea where that comes from. Exactly, who he is. Mm -hmm. And when that happens— that frequently that person gets moved out for potentially another celebrity or another word that's a little more understandable or recognizable. Another new jockey. To people today, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which, can you name one? Nope. Nope. Um, all right, maybe we should take a break, and we'll talk about some of the other, uh, some other examples after this message. No, stuff you should know, stuff you should know. Okay, we're back. Jerry just opened the loudest sandwich in the history of the world. <laughs> it really was. She's like, hold on a minute. And it sounded like a, it was in a space blanket. <laughs> it was like Ernest opens a sandwich over here. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Not as good as part two. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> I saw that first one in the theater. <laughs> yeah? Uh-huh. So here's some other examples that uh, have, some of them have sort of stayed over in England and some of them have found their way like apparently the term "put up your dukes" is oh, from I didn't know that. Cockney rhyming slang. So, and I didn't write down where dukes came from, but that's where it was originally a Cockney rhyming slang term. Yeah, because so um, you would think it had to do with fists or something, yeah, right? Dukes for fists. Uh, why didn't I write that down? Okay, but but so that's another really important point to to say about Cockney rhyming slang. It's frequently. Rhyming slang based on slang. So the word it's replacing is a right. slang word to begin with. Yeah. So who knows what the Dukes actually rhymed with at any point? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So uh, first of all, I've never heard this, blowing a raspberry. What? Have you heard of that? Yeah. That's t- tooting? 
out of your... <laughs> that, what I just did, uh-huh. is as much blowing a raspberry as actually farting. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I've heard of giving someone a raspberry, like... That, that Okay. It. That's the same thing? Yeah. Okay. Well, apparently that's derived from raspberry tart slang for fart. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it's pretty great. Yeah. Um, so that one is one of the rare ones. I love talking about exceptions. Do you know that? Oh, sure. Um, that's one of the rare ones that made its way to America because it, right. everyone but you knows what blowing a, a raspberry is. <laughs> I guess I'd never heard of the term blowing, but uh, giving someone a raspberry. Same thing. I found two more. One uh, is controversial. It's not set in stone, but I, it's as good an explanation as any. Get down to brass tacks. Uh, I saw that one too. Uh, that's a stand-in for facts. Let's right. get down to the bare facts. Uh-huh. Um, possibly. That's not, that's not right. done. Um, one that is 100%, as far as I can tell, is bread. I saw that too. For money. Yeah. In America, bread and honey became just bread. Right. And it caught on here and caught on again. Just now. Well, bees and honey, though, was also for money. Right. Is that just one of the local, like, depends on where you are things? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but in America, I mean, you know, we use bread. Everybody calls it bread. Yeah. I didn't know that that had come back. Yeah. Is Somebody it? wrote in to say it had come back. Yeah. Let's get this bread. Right? I guess so. That sounds okay. familiar. You need to spend more time on Reddit. Uh, here's another one. Dog and bone stands in for phone. Call me on the dog and bone. Sure. Uh, and then Ed says there may be some kind of correlation between one-syllable words that lead off that phrase, mm-hmm. um, staying in the phrase. But I don't. There are so many exceptions. I don't know if there is a rule. Exactly, and I think this really this is worth saying. We looked all over the place. I know Ed did too mm-hmm. for straight up linguistic dissertations and papers on Cockney rhyming slang. Right. It's not there. No. It's just treated as fun and hilarious, even though it is its own made-up language that's ever-evolving, mm-hmm. still alive, has been around, we'll talk about the history in a minute, for 150-plus years. But apparently no linguist has ever thought enough of it to, to sit down and write a genuine paper uh, about it. Right. So we couldn't find that. But the one thing that really occurred to me was in looking into it, I don't know if it could ever be explained. I think it's the result of so many individual decisions. Yeah. And then collective agreements to take up and go along with those decisions. Yeah. And those agreements can be totally undermined by a new individual decision that catches on. Yeah. How could you possibly map and even understand all or explain all of that different stuff? But yeah. even though we can't explain it, once you start to learn how it works, it's understandable. Mm-hmm. So you can't explain, but you can't understand it. Yeah. And it's like, I always wonder with any kind of slang or like who, who makes this stuff up, who sets the rules. Mm-hmm. It's probably just the kind of thing that just starts on a playground yeah. and spreads from there right? and gets codified unofficially. Yep. Uh, then everyone's using it. Sure. But I wonder if they're, I don't know. You can't trace this stuff, which is sort of frustrating as researchers. Right. Because I think we like to pinpoint things. Yeah, but it, I mean, people have tried to trace it and they've come awfully close. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. I want to go over some more of these. All right. I want to get up on my plates and get out of here. Your meat, your <laughs> plates of meat? Plates of meat, which uh-huh. is feet. <laughs> or between podcasts, you probably have to go take a rattle. Yeah. Rattle and hiss. Rattle and hiss like a snake. You got it. 
and that means pee-pee. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then should, I guess we should talk about arse. Yeah, sure. That's the one you were pretty excited about. Yes, because it goes even so much farther than arse even. Yeah, it's pretty convoluted. Okay. You want to take it? No, go ahead. Okay. So arse, the very famous name for ass in the UK. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that. Sure. It's actually, it comes from Aristotle, which you're like, well, what does that have to do with ass? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> Aristotle is Cockney rhyming slang for bottle. Again, the question is, what does that have to do with ass? Right. Well, originally, the Cockney rhyming slang word for ass was bottle and glass. Right. It became shortened to bottle. Mm-hmm. Somebody came along and rhymed Aristotle with it. That got shortened to eris and then to arse. Crazy. Goes even further than that. Oh, yeah? I saw one plaster for arse. Plaster of Paris. Oh, okay. Eris, Aristotle, bottle, bottle and glass, ass. Wow. That's how deep the Cockney rhyming slang has covered up the collective ass of the UK. Yeah, and again, it's like why you, you can't you can't put that in a book and explain it in any kind of way that makes sense. You got to do it on a podcast. Or a paper. Right. You just have to accept it. It's like that's how it happened on the street. I think that's a really good way to put it. On the it. streets of the East End, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> on your cocaine. No, not your cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they do have, for all that we're saying about how don't look at glossaries and stuff like that, they do have dictionaries mm-hmm. that you can buy if you're a total square, <laughs> right. I would guess. It's probably not a cool thing to do. Right. That's like saying... You know, I want to become a rapper, so let me get a rhyming dictionary. Yeah. Although I did have a rhyming dictionary at one point. Well, rhyming, it's not, you know, just limited to Cockney. We, oh, of we course. humans love to rhyme. Yeah. Which is one assertion Ed makes for why it's popular or so long-lasting. Well, should we talk about some of the theories on where it originated? Because I looked in a bunch of places, and I don't think, I mean, I think calling it theory is a little... Um, I think they kind of know where it came from. They just don't know exactly why they can't pinpoint it to like mm-hmm. on this day, mm-hmm. on this, in this place. Right. But it, it's not a complete mystery though. No, they've got it basically localized to about a one and a half mile area of London <clears throat> and basically down to the year. It's just exactly where and exactly who is and exactly why. Are the real outstanding questions, which is actually a lot of questions. Yeah, one of the <laughs> one of the whys uh, was that, uh, and this one I, I think doesn't have as much credence now, but no, but it's like the most common one, right? Is that you will hear it, that it was coded language created by criminals mm-hmm. to keep the cops confused as to what was going on, right? Which makes sense in one way because it, it certainly could cause confusion, mm-hmm. but it also, um, and I think Ed makes a pretty good point that like. Were they, like, were cops just hanging around overhearing things? Like, why did they feel like they needed to create this whole language? And cops, if they were street cops, would have figured this stuff out as well, you know, because it wouldn't have been that big of a secret. Yeah, there's this guy named Dick Sullivan who wrote an essay on the Victorian web, which is actually kind of cool. And he said the the street cops would have come from the same areas and families and neighborhoods that the criminals would have. So they would have been raised on this rhyming slang anyway. Sure. So it doesn't really hold up to scrutiny when you you look at it like that it was a intentionally created coded language meant to confuse the cops. Right. And that's not to say Mm -hmm. it nevertheless wasn't associated with some kind of criminal underworld 
East London types. Yeah, and it, it almost certainly was taken up by the Cockneys, but it wasn't necessarily Cockneys or criminals who came up with this rhyming slang to begin with. There's this guy named John Camden Houghton, mm-hmm. and he wrote one of the better titled, or at least most directly titled books I've ever heard of. And there's no colon. No, there's not. There are a couple commas, though. A dictionary of modern slang, cant, and vulgar words used at the present day in the streets of London. And he do, he has a chapter on rhyming slang, and he basically says that it was uh, two groups, shaunters and patterers, basically traveling salesmen who would stand on street corners mm-hmm. and hawk their wares yeah. and you know maybe pick your pocket while you were trying to buy something from them, and that they came up with Cockney rhyming slang. Yeah, and I saw that enough to think <clears throat> that that's probably true. Yeah, and the Shaunters in particular spoke in like singing rhyming language, so it would have yeah. been a pretty quick evolution. Yeah, I think this one makes a lot of sense. Um, street criers, I mean, uh, England and London especially has, has a long tradition of street corner barkers and things like this. Right. I remember seeing one myself when I traveled there in the 90s, and I was like, they're still doing this stuff? Yeah. It was like a box in the park where, where you can go stand on it. and Soapbox? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, that's where that came from, right? Probably. And uh, and just, you know, shout your piece. Sure. And I saw a guy doing it, and I thought, what year is this? This is wonderful. Right. It's fantastic. But the, in particular, the Shaunters, they sang and then sold penny ballads, like yeah. sheet music of penny ballads that they would write real quick after somebody famous died or there was a train wreck or something. They'd write a ballad about it mm-hmm. and then be out in the corner selling these things. Wow. But because they were singing in rhymes and sing song, it's a really good bet that these guys were the ones who originated rhyming slang. Yeah. But um, not necessarily for any kind of uh, intentionally coded language. Because that same guy, Dick Sullivan, says there's no reason for patterers who sold their, you know, little gigaws or trinkets or whatever. <laughs> I love that word. Um, or shaunters who were sell- selling these penny ballads. They worked alone. There was no need for them to come up with a coded language. To communicate to, with one another? Yeah, in front of a customer who they were ripping off because yeah. they didn't need to communicate with one another in front of customers. Well, I saw that maybe they, you know, could communicate with each other when customers were around or something. I don't know. Right. But the the other part of that is that it supposedly flies in the face of how slang develops, that it's unintentional. Right. Like you don't say, let's come up with a coded language and here's how it works. Yeah. Even like American <laughs> teenagers when they have slang that their parents don't understand. Mm-hmm. Like you remember how that stuff went. It was something you just heard. You never sat around. Sure. I'm hip to that. <laughs> and said, you know, like, hey, let's use this other word right. that our parents won't know what it means. Right. You we'll, know, we'll call it Pepsi when we're on the phone. Okay. <laughs> uh, there was also the Victorian back slang, uh, which that was not Cockney rhyming slang. That was just pronouncing words backwards. <laughs> no. uh, sort of simple. Like yob for boy. Yes. But something interesting about that is that it's based on the spelling, not the pronunciation. Right. Which suggests a strong degree of literacy, which you would probably not have found among at least the patterers. Right. Probably among the uh, shaunters because they were writing songs and ballads. Right. So it's possible they came up with that too. But they think maybe it was butchers and butchers' assistants who came up with backslang. Oh, really? Yeah. And actually two confused customers or 
to be able to talk about what price they should charge a customer in front of the customer. Right. So there is, like, you take all these different pieces and you get the current idea and story for Cockney Rhyming Slang, uh-huh. but it's actually a bunch of different stuff yeah. that wasn't really all connected until later on. Yeah, what it probably also was not was uh, Irish dock workers. Yeah. Uh, there was one theory being bandied about that Irish dock workers would come over and they would speak in this made-up rhyming slang. Uh, so, you know, they could just talk among their Irish peers and the people of London wouldn't understand them. Not much of this makes any sense at all. No. Because they don't uh, – I think now you see it some in Ireland, but um, for all those years that it was prevalent in London, it was not in Ireland. Right. Unless they literally just made it up when they came over from Ireland. Right. Plus, why would they not just speak Irish in front of the English who might not speak it? Yeah. Or what would that be, Gaelic? Uh, Sure. I think so. We're getting so much of this wrong. Do you uh, (laughs) want to take a break and fact check everything and maybe just rewind and start over? Yeah. Let's let's get our – wait, what was facts? Our our brass tacks. That's right. So we got to go get our brass straight. That's right. (laughs) Okay, we're back. It's been about 30 minutes since we left you guys. We um, fact-checked everything. And so far, so good. Yeah, this is a perfect podcast. So you said at the beginning, you teased out that it might not even have been Cockney to begin with. Mm-hmm. Everything I saw kind of placed it in that uh, that east, I think they call it Cheapside really? area. Wow. Um, where the Cockneys were. But mm-hmm. Cockney was also, I mean, it's also not necessarily specifically a one place, right? No, but if you're talking about Cockney people, supposedly the definition of a Cockney person is someone who is born within hearing distance of the bells of St. Mary LeBeau okay. in Cheapside, um, which was in London. What this guy, John Camden Houghton, who was writing in 1860 mm-hmm. and placed the um, placed the origin of rhyming slang 12 to 15 years before. So this guy was like on top of it as it was happening. Yeah. Um, he placed it at a place called Seven Dials, which was like a big marketplace, and I think still is, which is a mile and a half away from Cheapside, which oh, at the okay. time was in Westminster, at the time a different town. Right. So you had City of London and then Westminster, which is where Seven Dials was. So if you if you believe Houghton, then it wasn't the Cockney at all who came up with that. It oh, was those patterers and chanteurs. That's a different word than I said. No, Sean Tours. <laughs> well, Cockney has uh, – what that is, though, is just sort of the working class. Right. Uh, I think used to be viewed as uh, uneducated and sort of lower class. Um, that may be a bit harsh, but if anything, it was not the upper crust of British society. Right. Uh, you know, the the pub – the hard – Drinking pub goers. The rub-a-dub-dub goers. <laughs> is that pubs? Yeah, which is another exception because you go from one one syllable pub uh-huh. to rub-a-dub-dub, and it actually has three rhymes in there. Oh, interesting. But that is Cockney rhyming slang for pub. Well, but the Cockneys were also known for a bit more of progressive politics. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think nowadays there can be a bit more of a of a pride, of like a working class pride associated right. with it. I think there was back then too. Was there? Mm-hmm. But I think that's one reason also why the Cockney accent 
and Cockney rhyming slang in particular, was um, just treated shabbily and looked down on, you know, by the rest of England. Right. Because it was supposedly, you know, associated with lower classes. Yeah, it also found its way to Australia. Isn't that right? And then uh, somehow on the west coast of America, um, where the Australian version came in. Yeah, in the prisons of the west coast in the U.S., it was called Australian rhyming slang. So I guess some cool guy from Australia showed up and was speaking in gibberish that just made everyone think, I want to do this too. Right. Uh, It's kind of fun to go on YouTube, though, and see some of these, you know, because it's such a big thing in England. It's been all over the BBC. Uh, I watched one episode of The Two Ronnies Mm -hmm. where this uh, priest did a sermon in Cockney rhyming slang. (laughs) It was very funny. And one of those sort of, you know, 80s, I guess it was 80s, early 80s BBC comedies are always fun. Right. You know, the production value is not all there. The laugh track is, it had to have been a laugh track. I don't think it was a studio audience. Although it may have been. I don't know. It was hard to tell. That's or, that's during the transition. Uh, but there were uh, other shows, uh, Not on Your Nelly and The Sweeney, and the titles of both of those shows mm-hmm. come from actual Cockney rhyming slang as well. Yeah, The Sweeney is particularly dense. It's short for Sweeney Todd, which was rhyming slang for Flying Squad, which is a particular branch of the Metropolitan Police, kind of like Major Case. Oh, interesting. So The Sweeney was like the Major Case Division of Metropolitan Police. So Nellie comes from the word Nellie Duff, the name Nellie Duff, uh-huh. which is apparently just a nonsense name. And that rhymes with puff, which means life. So mm-hmm. not on your Nellie means not on your life. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Clearly. It, it's so dense. And then, of course, things like you mentioned, Guy Ritchie really brought it into the American consciousness mm-hmm. in the 90s when he made those two movies. Right. And hey, he brought of, it into my consciousness, I'll tell you that. Yeah? Sure. So there's a really good question, uh, Chuck, that I think we need to ask. How is it that in 2019, uh-huh. you and I are analyzing a hyper-local slang that came out of the 1840s yeah. in you know some very specific part of London? Like, how, how is Cockney rhyming slang still around after all this year, all these years, when so much other slang has come and gone over the years that we have no idea ever even existed? What's the staying power of Cockney rhyming slang? Do you, do you expect me to have an answer? Yep. <laughs> I don't have one about why it stuck around other than people, you know, if people don't still use it, then it would have fallen by the wayside. So clearly it's popular. Yeah. It seems to have gotten... And maybe this is just my recognition of it, but it seems to have gotten more popular in the last 20 years. What I was reading is that, especially in the UK, its it, popularity is based on kitschiness. Yeah. You know, kind of like sense. hipster irony. Uh-huh. Like the Cockney rhyming word for wife is trouble and strife. Uh-huh. So I imagine that probably doesn't go over very well if you don't call your <laughs> wife that with a smile like you're joking. Right. Kind of thing. Uh-huh. So I think that's the, um, that's the current use of it. Uh-huh. But I mean, it's it was used and it's still in use and there's still new words like um, posh and becks is the word for sex. Oh, really? That's pretty new. <laughs> uh, apparently, Britney Spears mm-hmm. uh, can be used for beers. Which is great. And I saw one, um, Nelson Mandela, mm-hmm. if you're getting a Stella Artois. Yeah. is a Nelson Mandela for Stella. So... The fact that it's still evolving, yeah. still being contributed to, new, like these existing words are being replaced with new ones. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the fact that it's 150 years old, I mean, there's got to be some thing to it that makes it more, more. I think, I think it's that it's just so hard to understand until someone explains it to you. I think it's fun. I think it's a fewfold. It's fun. That's debatable. It's fun. It's fun. <laughs> it's, uh, there is a code to it. And part of the fun is it, I think, is friends maybe trying to make something up and having it catch on. Sure. Uh, it's almost like a game. Like a word game? Yeah, a bit. <laughs> Did you just go, a bit? <laughs> <laughs> and then um, the 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 unique Britishness of it all yeah. is has a lot to do with it, I think. Yeah, because even though it got exported to Australia, no one associates it with Australia. Sorry, Australia. But if we, like, if it really took off in America mm-hmm. with hipsters, people in Britain would probably be like, forget it. It's flown the. It's flown. Well, what is flown the coop? What could you say for coop? It's um, <laughs> it's uh, on the uh, Gwyneth and the Goop. <laughs> so the Gwyneth, it's flown the Gwyneth. Okay, we'll see. That one might catch on. I can do this all day. <laughs> no, some of them aren't so good, but other ones are gems. Uh, the why of it all, though, to begin with, I thought was interesting. Um, I asked you why, and you said you don't no, know. No, you said why is it sticking around. I mean, why did it start to begin with? Oh, okay. And I think, you know, Ed makes a pretty good point that they're just rhyming period has always been a thing. Right. Even in the States, and he uses uh, examples like see you later, alligator, after a while, crocodile. Like, I remember saying that when I was a kid. I just said that yesterday. Well, did you really? Yeah. See you later, alligator? Yeah. <laughs> There's just something about it. Maybe it's the childlike nature of it that's fun. It right. makes old people feel young again. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, like it takes something boring and adds a little flair to it, you know? Uh, or like Yiddish, like uh, fancy schmancy. I love that. People say that kind of stuff all the time. I never associated it with Yiddish, but it absolutely is, isn't it? I think so. I mean, not outright Yiddish, but... Uh, Yiddish culture? I think so. Um, but yeah, it is strange. It is strange that it started to begin with. And, like, I I wish there was a definite, like, person zero that we could point to. Yeah. And, you know, on the streets of London. And someone thought it was funny. And then they told two friends and so on and so on. Yep. (laughs) But there's not. Richie started it and Potsy and Ralph Mouth took it from there and it just kept (laughs) spreading like wildfire. You got anything else? Uh, Yes. I found a 2012 survey by the Museum of London, and uh, it set off a bunch of articles about how Cockney rhyming slang is dying. But if you read the article, it says that 40% of respondents believe it was dying, which means 60% don't believe it's dying. Yeah, so that's so, good. Yeah, and then they, they go on to talk about how there's all these you know new words that are being replaced and added. So I don't think it's going anywhere. I think its usage has become more ironic and everything, but it's still like most... Most Britons still understand porky pies means lies. Yeah. Like, don't tell me any porkies. Give it to me straight. Well, I think it was good we were able to sit here and have a good rabbit and pork. Sure. (laughs) Or torque. Apparently, rabbit and pork is talk. But, oh, that was one other thing. Studying this, there's reasons people study this. It gives you a window into the past. Mm-hmm. For example, like pronunciations. Yes. Uh-huh. So farthing used to be um, a Camden. Well, farthing's like a quarter penny that they don't use anymore. But it used to be called a Camden after Camden Gardens, which okay. tells linguists if they would get off their desks and study this thing mm-hmm. that um, they used to pronounce farthings as fardens. 
Oh, interesting. Or at least it's something that rhymes closely to gardens. But that's why people study this, allegedly. Amazing. Well, if you want to know more about Cockney rhyming slang, get yourself a great Cockney rhyming dictionary and go to England and just start talking up a storm. They love that stuff. They love it. They can't get enough. They'll treat you like one of their own. That's right. Uh, and since we said that, it's time for listener mail. Uh, Satanic Panic. We just re-released that as a Saturday Select. Uh, I think that was, was that one of your picks or one of mine? I don't know. I'm not sure, but it was it was a good pick for October. One of our favorite episodes. Yeah, it was. I think great of all one. time, and we got a lot of uh, people emailing again about it uh, after listening to it for the first time. Hey guys, listen to Satanic Panic and realize I had a story about that. I grew up in a suburb of California. By the teenage years, I'd become what you might call goth. Wore black, spiked jewelry, dark makeup, and all that stuff. Yeah. My town had a 10 p.m. curfew, and one night when I was 14, my friends and I were walking home after curfew, got pulled over by the cops. They questioned and searched us, then called the parents, except for mine. I'm not sure why, but the officer insisted on driving me home. Once there, he also demanded to come inside my home. I was too scared to argue, so I let him in. He went to my bedroom. This is getting creepy. Yeah. Uh, I was really worried about where this was headed. Uh, He went to my bedroom, which is full of posters of Marilyn Manson, Uh, and the crow and stuff like that and he started going through my things what he told me he was concerned because satanists are out there and that if i wasn't careful i'd find myself sacrificed he told me there were rituals in barns that require virgins and i should rethink my lifestyle before i got raped or hurt uh i thanked him for his concern and i quietly said everything nice that i could to get him out of my house before he woke up my father situation uh this happened in 2000 (laughs) Uh, after hearing your episode today, it's hard to believe that the residue of the satanic panic would still be around then, especially in the police force. Uh, just to be clear, the suburb I lived in had very little crime, so the officer was very surprising indeed. Uh, my boys and I love your show. I recommend it to everyone. Nice. That is from Lisa G. That is really something, Lisa. I know. Kind of disturbing. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know if that cop was a good guy. It started to go down a pretty creepy road there. It really did. Yeah. Maybe he was just looking for some pot or something. And he was just <laughs> coming up with a cover story. Or, you know. yeah, I got to get in your room and go through your right, stuff. Exactly. <laughs> you got any weed? Yeah, really. Whew, I was relieved to know that it just ended in the cop leaving. But Yeah, agreed. He went above and beyond, and not in a, yeah. gr- a good way. Right. Well, thanks a lot, Lisa. Glad that you made it through that and that you and your boys are listening to Stuff You Should Know. Could you get any cooler? I don't think so. Well, if you want to be cool like Lisa and her boys, you can get in touch with us by going on to Stuff You Should Know, checking out our social links there. And as always, send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. (laughs) 